What a day that will be. You know, we've got talent in this church. The Lord has blessed us with wonderful people who has tremendous talent. Get the screen down. Yesterday I went in for a doctor's appointment. If you remember last week, my throat was giving out. The old devil doesn't want me to preach, and he doesn't want me to preach this morning either. i got some water here ready. But he just doesn't want me to share this message with you. Went into the doctor yesterday and waited for her to come in, and she walked in. First thing she said to me, boy, you look terrible. Well, thanks a lot, Doc. Goes through the checkup, and she was trying to share with me that I needed this shot, and she was sharing, you know, I recommend that all old people get this shot. She says, well, I'm not trying to say you're old. Then after that, the uh, financial officer of the clinic comes in and says, oh, by the way, we don't have you on uh, Medicare on our records. Well, I'm not on, I haven't retired. Boy, I felt like I was 90 years old when I went out of that doctor's office. Thank Luther, I'm going to have to borrow you cane before too long to get through this sermon. Well, the hard part with a continuation of a sermon is the fact that if we have visitors that are here, they didn't get to hear last week, so they have no idea what we're talking about as we continue on. And that's really the tough part, and I, you know, I really wrestle with the fact that I need to share what took place last week, but if I take the time to do that, we'll be here through Sunday. And uh, I don't think that I have the time to be able to do that, but uh, this is the continuation of our sermon from a sermon I heard from Pastor David Westbrook, and just kind of give you a little uh, glimpse of what's taking place We figure that we've made it to the year 2010, right? We're here. Whether we like it or not, we're in 2010. That's the only date that we can put on the chart because we don't know what the Lord and the exact times and dates that they have in store for us in the future. We just know that there will be some of these events that are going to take place. One of the events is that we know that there's going to be, and we looked at it last week, and if you didn't, wasn't here, get a copy of the CD and, and you can listen through what we went through last week. But we know that there's sometime in the future there's going to be a national Sunday law. Am I correct? Okay, just wanted to see if you're still with me. At some point in time, there's going to be the final close of probation. The just will remain just still and the unjust will remain unjust still. So there will be no more deciding of what's going to take place. Everybody will have made up their minds in that particular time. Then after that point, we know that there's going to be the second coming of Jesus. We don't know the day or the hour, but we just know that he has promised that he's going to come and he's going to take us to heaven. And I can't wait until that day. And We've got to keep our focus upon that event, the second coming of Jesus. What I want to do is I want to look at something in just a moment that I that we had gone over last week, but I want to fill in just a little bit more information. And uh, let's just take a look at the Bible text in Joel chapter 3, verse 13. Joel says, put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. What harvest is he talking about? Nobody knows, huh? 
The harvest of souls, it's God's harvest. We know at some point that God is going to harvest his people. Those he's, he wants everybody to be saved. But it's up to us to choose whether we're going to be saved or whether we're not going to be saved. But those that are going to be saved, God's going to bring in his harvest. Did you know that the devil has a harvest? We looked at that last week from the Review and Herald, uh, September the 17th, 1901, where it says, Storm and tempest, war and bloodshed. In these things he, Satan, delights, and thus he gathers in his harvest. The devil has a harvest. And he's in the process, as while God is gathering his harvest, Satan wants to gather his harvest as well, too. Now, you probably remember, if you have 3ABN, Mark Finley was on 3ABN this last week. Mark's getting ready to start a big series of meetings in Chicago uh, this fall. And he was sharing with the various churches in Chicago at a meeting, and he told a story at the end of his sermon that I thought kind of goes along with this to show you how the devil is trying to bring in his harvest. Mark is is sharing this, that at one time there was a group of pastors from all over the United States who were scheduled to meet in Boston, Massachusetts, to be able to, uh, for the purpose of getting together and to praying on how to reach others for Christ. That's a good thing to do, for pastors to get together and to pray that uh, we want to reach others for Christ so that they won't be lost, but they will be saved. Now, one of those pastors boarded a plane in Chicago at O'Hara Airport, and he was going to that meeting in Boston. And as he was seated in the plane, he noticed the gentleman sitting next to him, next to the window, and the man was praying. And so the pastor waited until he was finished, and when the man had finished praying, the pastor then said to him, you know, it's really good to sit next to a praying Christian. The man glared at him for a moment, and the man said, do you think only Christians know how to pray? Well, the pastor was a little bit taken back by that comment. And so then he asked the obvious, well, if you're not a Christian, then what are you? Are you a Jewish, a Muslim, Buddhist? The man quickly replied, I am a Satanist that prays to the devil. And before the pastor could even share who he was or where he was going, the Satanist said, Did you know that there is a meeting of pastors of various denominations that's scheduled to meet in Boston, Massachusetts? I was praying to the devil that he would use his power to not only disrupt that meeting, but cause the pastors and their families of those pastors to break up and that their children would be lost. Man, when Mark heard that story, he traveled to Melbourne, Australia, and he was sharing with the people in Melbourne, and he told them that story. And afterwards, there was a lady that came up to him, 
and said the similar thing happened to her on a plane. The man seated next to her said that he and other Satan worshipers were praying every day at noon over the city of Melbourne for the breakup of all Christian families. They're united together in their prayers. Mark left Melbourne, Australia and went over to Spain. And he shared the two stories that he just heard. And someone came up to him and said, Would you believe it? But we went through a very similar incident right there in Spain. Same story, three different countries. Satan has his reapers working. The target, Christians and their families. That means you and your family as well, too. Each family that is destroyed is a potential addition to the harvest that Satan is bringing in. And yet we have still every day, even within our own denomination, homes that are breaking up all along. The devil's very successful at what he's doing. Brothers and sisters, we're living at the end of time. Satan is bringing in his harvest. Christ wants us to bring in his harvest. It's either one or the other. So if you remember from our chart, we put up the impending conflict that's going on right now where the devil is at work and everything is, is increasing in intensity. And we took a look at the fact that there's the increase in disasters and diseases. Remember we found out the disasters were either man-made or natural. Natural meaning like tornadoes. And what happened this last week in Orange County? Tornadoes. And earthquakes. What happened in Haiti? Do you see an increase in intensity of these things that are happening all over the world? And the, and the devil is using this. The reason why he's doing that is he's creating agitation. It's increasing and increasing. There's, there, he's agitating the people. And remember last week we discovered that from the pulpits, the major majority of the pastors are going to stand and they're going to say that these disasters are because of the people that refuse to keep Sunday holy. That the Sabbath keepers are the cause of all these things. And as we looked at that, then they're going to begin to blame us. That's increasing. And then it's going to spread then to, to very prominent men in the cities. Remember, the target is going to be the cities, because that's where the majority of the people are living nowadays. And so these prominent men and businesses and unions and government and everything else, they're going to be able to join with the pastors and say, this is true, it's happening. These All these disasters are coming because God is angry at us. God is angry at the Sabbath keepers. And then it's going to pass on to the politicians. And then it's going to come to the fact that there will be passed a national Sunday law in the United States. But at the same time as all this is, is increasing, getting more and more, it's more intense, the third angel's message is going to begin to become more intense. We're going to begin to see these things that are happening. And we as a church, 
I wished it was all the Adventist churches, but it's not. But praise God for the ones that we have that are looking at the soon coming of Jesus and saying we need to rally together. That's why we're having a group like Abe has of learning to go out and go door to door and to be able to share. Because God has his harvesters and he wants them to go out. So we're going to go out and it's going to increase with intensity. And as we begin to share... Also, what's going to increase in intensity is the latter rain experience. The power of the Holy Spirit is going to be working with us. We're going to be able to do miracles that even Jesus himself wasn't able to do. So all that's taking place, increasing more and more as we rally together. The problem is what's also taking place are there are those who don't want to believe that within our denomination. They don't want to believe that that uh, the spirit of prophecy is true. They don't want to look at what the Bible has to say. And so it's going to start a great shaking that's going to take place. And there's going to be a lot in our denomination that's going to be shaken out. That's going to increase in intensity. Then, after the National Sunday Law... Whoops. Well, let's go to this next one here. If it'll go. It keeps jumping. Now let's go on. Early writings. I want you to see something. Pages 85 to 86. Something was written in early writings that Ellen White had to go back in the same book and kind of clarify because it was misunderstood. So she writes that on page 33 is given the following, and then she quotes what she wrote. I saw that the Holy Sabbath is and will be the separating wall between the true Israel of God and unbelievers. And that the Sabbath is the great question to unite the hearts of God's dear waiting saints. I saw that God had children who do not see and keep the Sabbath. Some of us are in that boat. They have not rejected the light upon it. They haven't made a stand and say, I don't totally believe in it. They just don't see the necessity of it. And at the commencement of the time of trouble, see that? We were filled with the Holy Ghost as we went forth and proclaimed the Sabbath more fully. Where she wrote the time of trouble, that's when people began to question and say, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. I thought the time of trouble comes after probation has closed. How can we be going out and bringing in our children and if, if all the minds have been made up at that time? So she continues on because we need to find out what she meant. So she clarifies now. The commencement of that time of trouble here mentioned does not refer to the time when the plague shall begin to be poured out but to a short period just before they are poured out. While Christ is in the sanctuary, at that time, while the work of salvation is closing, trouble will be coming on the earth, and the nations will be angry, yet held in check so as not to prevent the work of the third angel. So she's saying there's a time of trouble, but it's a little time of trouble. It's a time before, while Christ is still in the heavenly sanctuary. It's a time where minds have not been totally made up. 
But the, it's increasing in intensity. It's building up. It's getting worse. So this is coming after the, the National Sunday Law has taken place. And this little time of trouble will take place here on this earth. We're going to go through this. We're going to see this. We're going to experience it. Revelation 13. Revelation 13, verses 16 and 17. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads, and that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Let me go back. Notice, this is what we often call the mark of the beast. Notice, they're going to receive the mark on their right hand, or. See the word or? It doesn't say and, it says or. Right hand or on their foreheads. Keep that in mind. We're going to see that in just a minute. So let's go to Deuteronomy now. Chapter 6, verses 6 through 8. Look at this very carefully. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. Let me stop here. Do you remember in the New Testament what is to be written on our hearts? It's God's law, okay? Deuteronomy is talking about God's law. So here's God's law. These words about His laws shall be in our heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. I hope you're doing that to your children and your grandchildren. We're talking eternal life here. Teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign. That word sign in the Old Testament also means mark. Here's the mark of God. Bind them as a sign or a mark on your hand and, doesn't say or, it says and, they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, your forehead. But notice the difference in the wording. On your hand and your eyes for the laws of God. For the mark of the beast, it's on the hand or the forehead. Okay, so what are we talking about? The Time of the End, the book, page 357 by James L. Hayward, Sr. The forehead signifies acceptance in the mind where decisions are made. I have decided that this is what I'm going to do. Okay, hand is a symbol of cessation of work. I am not going to work. So if we're talking about God's law, it's I've made up my mind. I'm going to do it. If it's, and it, because of that, I'm going to cease my work for some reason or other. We're going to see here in just a minute. If God's teachings are to be the mark in the hand and the forehead, then Satan's teachings are to be the mark in the hand and or the forehead as well. Do you see what I'm saying? Okay. But there is the difference. Like I said, the hand and the forehead, both for God, but it's either and or for Satan. So what are we talking about? What is Satan's teachings? 
Matthew chapter 15, verses 8 and 9. These people will draw near to me with their mouth, Jesus is speaking, and honor me with their lips. They're praising Jesus. They're, they're coming with him. They're talking. They're saying all the Christian things. But their heart is far from me. What's written on our hearts? The law. Okay. Teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Not God's commandments. Not God's teachings. But they act and talk just like Christians. I'm a Christian just like you are. But it doesn't come out that way. So what will be the sign or the mark in the last days? It has something to do with the teachings of God or the commandments of men. So let's narrow it down a little bit deeper. Exodus 31, verse 13. Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign or a mark between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Is that clear? What is it that is the mark? The Sabbath, okay? Look what it says, KC, Father T. Enright. KC stands for Knights of Columbus, okay? In the American Sentinel, June 1st, 1893. The Bible says, he knows what the Bible says. The Bible says, remember that thou shall, thou keep holy the Sabbath day. The Catholic Church says, no! Why? By my, that's my priestly divine power, I abolish the Sabbath day and command you to keep holy the first. Can't get any plainer or any stronger than that, can you? Teaching the commandments of man, because there's no place in the Bible, you can read it from cover to cover, no place in the Bible does God ever sanctify and set aside any other day of the week other than the Sabbath? Let's continue on. I already got that part. So the mark or sign has to do with worship, God's Sabbath, which is Saturday, or Satan's counterfeit Sabbath, which is Sunday. Does that seem clear? It was a weak yes. Great Controversy, page 607. As the movement for Sunday enforcement becomes more bold and decided, that means it's increasing in intensity, the law will be invoked against commandment keepers. They will be threatened with fines and imprisonment. Not death yet. Remember, it's increasing. And some will be offered positions of influence and other rewards and advantages as inducements to renounce their faith. Do you see what's happening? For those who might be a little weak, they come in and they say, hey, you know, I'm going to make you the mayor of Beaumont. Or I'm going to, the, the economy is bad, I'm going to guarantee that you don't have to pay for health insurance. Have you ever heard that before? 
the inducements, the, the, the things to be able to get you to renounce your faith. Let's continue on. Testimonies, volume 6, page 18. As America, the land of religious liberty, shall unite with the papacy in forcing the conscience and compelling men to honor the false Sabbath, the people of every country on the globe will be led to follow her example. So in other words, it starts at home, and then it increases and spreads to other countries throughout the world. Do you see how we talked about it last week? It starts small and it increases. All these things increase. And this will increase as well too. So we're going to have an increase in Sunday legislation. It's going to be our fault because we're keeping the Sabbath. And they're going to try to get us to renounce the keeping of the Sabbath. They're going to apply pressure to us. They're going to bribe us. They're going to do all these things. The devil is at work during this particular time. Now, I want you to look what else takes place at this time. It's noon. Do you want to quit? Okay, let's look what else that takes place. The disciples came to Jesus and they said, you know, tell us some of the signs. What's going to happen before you come? And Jesus was sharing with them. And look what it says in Matthew chapter 24, verses 23 through 26. If anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there, do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders as to deceive, if possible, even the elect. We've got to be careful. If we don't know what we stand for, he could deceive us. Let's continue on. I've told you beforehand, therefore, if they say to you, look, he's in the desert, do not go out. Or look, he's in the inner rooms, do not believe it. Jesus doesn't want to go to those places. Why? For Satan himself, 2 Corinthians 11:14, Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. They're going to say, look, Jesus, the Messiah is over here. Or he's over there. Jesus is trying to say, that is a deception of the devil himself. Now look what it says in the great controversy. Page 624, as the crowning act in the great drama of deception, Satan himself will personate Christ. The church has long professed to look to the Savior's advent as the consummation of her hopes. Now the great deceiver will make it appear that Christ has come. In different parts of the earth, Satan will manifest himself among men as a majestic being of dazzling brightness, an angel of light, resembling the description of the Son of God given by John in Revelation. So they can go to book of Revelation and say, well, this is what Jesus looks like. That's what he looks like. It must be him. The glory that surrounds him is unsurpassed by the mortal eyes and yet behold. In other words, we've never seen anything as glorious looking as what he's going to be. The shout of triumph rings out upon the air. Christ has come. Christ has come. The people prostrate themselves in adoration before him while he lifts up his hands and pronounces a blessing upon them as Christ blessed his disciples when he was upon the earth. His voice is soft and subdued yet full of melody in gentle, compassionate tones. 
he presents some of the same gracious heavenly truths which the Savior uttered. Remember, it says some. Then he heals the diseases of the people. Going to see great miracles take place. And then, in his assumed character of Christ, he claims to have changed the Sabbath to Sunday and commands all to hallow the day which he has blessed. He declares that those who persist in keeping holy the seventh day are blaspheming his name by refusing to listen to his angels sent to them with light and truth. This is the strong, almost overmastering delusion. What it means is if we don't know what the Bible truth is, it can overwhelm us and fool us because of the sight and the glory and the miracles. Brothers and sisters, we've got to get back into the Word. If there's any time that the church service should be full, it should be at Sabbath school. Because you're studying God's Word. Mull that over in your mind for a bit. Satan personates Christ. It's going to be overwhelming. Even if possible to fool the elect, that's us. First Peter 4, verse 17, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? So this is before time has, has probation is closed, but what it's saying is that judgment is going to come first to the church and then later to the rest of the world. Do you know what that means? you know what church that is? If you want to step outside in the cold and take a look, it's our church. But it's going to start in the church first. In other words, close of probation will come earlier for God's church. Now, when is that going to be? Is that going to be closer to the National Sunday Law or more closer to the final close of probation? I don't know. He didn't give me the day or the hour. He just says it's going to happen here first. That means I've got to be ready. The time to be ready is now. Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was A nation even to that time, and at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. A time of trouble like this world has never seen. So we're not talking about the little time of trouble anymore. We're talking about something so great, This the the history of this earth has never seen anything like it. Great Controversy, page 614. When he, that's Jesus, leaves the sanctuary, darkness covers the inhabitants of the earth. In that fearful time, the righteous must live in the sight of a holy God without an intercessor. The restraint which has been upon the wicked is removed. And Satan has entire control of the finally impenitent. God's long-suffering has ended. The world has rejected his mercy 
despised his love and trampled upon his law. The wicked have passed the boundary of their probation. The Spirit of God persistently resisted has been at last withdrawn, unsheltered by divine grace. They have no protection from the wicked one. Satan will then plunge the inhabitants of the earth into one great final trouble. So after the close of probation will come a final great time of trouble that this world has never seen. And and did you notice that the power of Satan will be unloosed on the world? Revelation 15, verse 1. I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. Great controversy, page 627 and 628. When Christ seizes his intercession, that's in the, in the sanctuary in heaven, the unmingled wrath threatened against those who worship the beast and his image will receive his mark will be poured out. The plagues upon Egypt when God was about to deliver Israel were similar in character to those more terrible and extensive judgments which are to fall upon the world. Just before the final deliverance of God's people. So we're talking about, at this time, the seven last plagues is going to fall. See, beforehand, it was the wrath of Satan against God's people saying, it's all your fault, it's all your fault, it's all your fault. If you would give up this thing called the Sabbath, if you'd throw away the law, if you keep the commandments of men, if you keep the day that I've set aside, which is Sunday, into worship, then the wrath of God will be appeased. But when we finally get to that point and people accept that, then comes the wrath of God like it's never seen anything in its life. If you think the ten plagues of Egypt were bad... This is worldwide of what's going to take place. Let's continue on. Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is the time of Jacob's trouble. We call it time period the time of Jacob's trouble. So what's going to take place during that particular time? Let's take a look. Revelation 13, verse 15. He, Satan, was granted power to give breath to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be what? To be killed. Death decree on God's people. A death decree. Come on. Early writings, pages 36 and 37. I saw that the four angels would hold the four winds until Jesus' work was done in the sanctuary. And then will come the seven last plagues. These plagues enraged the wicked against the righteous. They thought that we had brought the judgments of God upon them and that if they could rid the earth of us, the plagues then be stayed. And a decree went forth to slay the saints, which caused them to cry day and night for deliverance. A death decree comes as a result of the plagues. The question is, is when? I don't know the day or the time, but I do know this from the spirit of prophecy. By the way, we are a people of the Bible. 
The spirit of prophecy, I'd said before, is like a commentary that illuminates what the Bible has already said is going to take place. It helps us to understand a little more. So let's take place this death decree. Can I understand a little more approximately when that death decree is going to come? Great Controversy, page 628, says the revelator, There fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast. If you notice, if you read in the book of Revelation, that grievous sore is plague number one. And the sea, the sea is salt water. Do you drink salt water? No, no. The sea became as the blood of dead men. That's plague number two. And the rivers and fountains of water, we're talking about fresh water, became blood. That's plague number three. Because thou hast judged thus, for they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink. The blood to drink is that fresh water. So somewhere between the second and the third plague. By condemning the people of God to death, they will truly, they have truly incurred the guilt of their blood as if it had been shed by their hands. So the death decree comes between the second and the third plague. Well, let's continue on. Great controversy, pages 618 and 619. As Satan accuses the people of God on account of their sins, the Lord permits him to try them to their uttermost. Have you ever heard something similar to that before? Do you remember Job? And Satan kept saying, you know, God, you keep putting a hedge over Job. And God says, you know, I'll remove the hedge. Well, here it is. The Lord permits him to try them to the uttermost. Their confidence in God, their faith and firmness, will be severely tested. That's our confidence. That's our faith is going to be severely tested. As they review the past, their hopes sink. For in their whole lives, they can see little good. They are fully conscious of their weakness and unworthiness. Satan, here's what he's trying to do, Satan endeavors to terrify them that the thought that their cases are helpless, the stain of their defilement will never be washed away. He hopes to destroy their faith, that they will yield to his temptations and turn from the allegiance to God. That's what his goal is. Remember, the just will remain just still and the unjust will remain unjust still. Let's continue on. Though God's people will be surrounded by enemies who are bent upon their destruction, yet the anguish which they suffer is not a dread of persecution. That's not what's bothering them. They fear that every sin has not been repented of and that through some fault in themselves they will fail to realize the fulfillment of the Savior's promise I will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world. Revelation 3.10 If they could have the assurance of pardon, they would not shrink from torture and death. But should they prove unworthy and lose their lives because of their own defects of character, then God's holy name would be reproached. You know what it's saying? It's saying that God's people is not worried about the death decree, is not worried about the people who are ganging up against them. 
is not worried about Satan. What they're worrying about is, am I, because of my sins, if there hasn't been something that has been confessed, am I ruining God's name in this world? Am I defaming His character by not being pure? That's powerful. So everything looks bad, doesn't it? You ready to go climb in your bed and pull the covers up over your head? You probably do that this afternoon anyway. Just take your nap. Well, here's what we got to look at. I don't want to leave you without hope. Again, back to Matthew 24. Jesus ends his description of the end of the world. He says, Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together, there's the harvest, They will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the earth to the other. Brothers and sisters, we can look at the problems and we can shake in our boots. But we need to look at these things of the sequence events so that we're not fooled. But our focus of attention has to be on the second coming of Christ and his promise to come and take his elect. If we don't keep that on our minds, we will give up. Lift up the trumpets and loud let it ring. Jesus is coming again.
thank you, Heavenly Father, for the glorious promise that Jesus is coming again. Lord, help us to commit ourselves solely to you. Let not the world distract us. Do not allow the devil to break up our families and our homes. But let us go out and to share and to reap the harvest of Jesus in his great power and glory is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.